Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. My thought from for tonight, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Everybody say, all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance, in the Tamathres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers. Probably the saddest, one of the saddest lines of Scripture ever penned. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them or the gods around them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. For the sake of a title tonight, I want to just teach slash preach to us on this first family on this subject. A fresh call to commitment. A fresh call to commitment. As I read this story and as I began to reflect over 13 years of pastoring this past week, my heart became challenged, heavy, burdened. As I began to look back over the last 13 years in all that God has done, God truly has been good to this church. God truly has been good to this church. And I think we ought to say amen to that. But as I drove from the airport, and we had, you had honored our family and you had honored my wife and I. And it, it was just a picture perfect day. I, I, it could not have been any better. As my brain only works, I immediately kick into gear and I start thinking about the future. What's next, God? What are you doing next? What, what's going to be in the year of 14 and 15 and God willing the 20th year. And, and I began to do evaluation and I began to look at all that God had done. And then I began to feel the burden of the Holy Ghost and the charge and the challenge. As I was reminded of the book that Bruce Wilkerson wrote 
many, many years ago. It just, I began to think about it. The title of the book was The Three Chairs. And many of you have maybe even read that book. And I went back to the Word of God and I said, Oh my goodness, this is where we are as a church. And as we end this year and get ready to embrace a new year, and this is first family, I said, God, this is what you want to say to this church tonight. And I was reminded of the three-chair principle. Joshua would represent chair one sitting behind me. Chair two would represent the elders. And chair three would represent another generation. And God spoke to me about chair four. And I'll speak on it toward the conclusion of my message. You may say, what's chair one? It represents Joshua. Joshua experienced the reality of God firsthand. Joshua saw the miracles. Joshua served the Lord. But by the time Joshua was getting ready to leave the scene, that burden shifted to the elders. They knew about the reality of God secondhand. They told stories about what God had done. And it would be said they served the God of their fathers. But chair three is the one that calls unto us so deeply and strongly as a a call of admonition. It's the chair of the another generation. They did not know the works of God. They were unfamiliar with miracles. They served false gods. And you may say to yourself, how does the progression happen from Joshua to the elders to another generation? I'm glad you asked. Joshua was a man of commitment. Somebody say commitment. Joshua understood the word of God. He understood the law of God's word and how it was God's revelation to man and instructions to live by. The word of God set the values that they adhered to. The word of God in scripture and commands derived their commitment. They had a dedication unto the Lord. They would grow in knowledge and in relationship with God. And here is what stood out to me they did what was right in the eyes of God that's commitment somebody say commitment but by the time you get to generation two or you get to the elders the ones that Joshua would put his hands upon and the ones that he would feel could carry on the burden carry on the mission carry on that promise of possession of land. The word of God just became, it was just a helpful guide. Not really important, not really relevant. It was good enough for Joshua. But you know what? I'll compromise a little bit. I really won't live to the level of commitment that Joshua lived up to. So I will compromise just a little bit. I'll let the fellow elders and I'll let the fellow uh, members of the 
the children of Israel per se, set the values. Instead of the scripture, the Torah, the law being what dictates what we can and cannot do. We'll just, we'll just let the saints or the Christians decide. We'll just let the members of each tribe decide what to do. And you know what? We still love God. We still reverence the word of God. But instead of a Joshua generation that thrived in growth and multiplication, they would be settling with plateauing. They were just comfortable with status quo. They were dedicated, or the dedication was to their parents and not to God. Where the generation prior, there was a dedication and a sacrifice unto God. Now the elders were just dedicated to what mom and daddy had. And here is the demise of that. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right, not in God's eyesight, but in your eyes. But chair number three gives us that, that picture, that another generation. The Bible or the Torah or the law became quickly an ancient relic. Instead of the word of God setting the values in Joshua's generation. Instead of, instead of the fellow tribes per se or the fellow Christians setting the values, the world began to set the values. Society and culture begin to dictate behaviors. Begin to dictate what they did. There was a, a dedication not to God, not to parents, but a dedication to self. Instead of growth, declining to plateauing, it would dedicate now to just go with the flow. If it feels good, do it. If, it, if society says it's okay, it's okay. You want to do this? And we see it played out in Scripture. Instead of what's right in God's eyes, what's right in your eyes, it was what's right in my eyes. The progression doesn't take long. And I believe if we look across our country today, we can see the fast spiraling downward of a country and as a nation and I hate to even say these words, but the church of the living God. We have quickly shifted. It's though we're standing on shifting sands. For when I read the commitment, somebody say commitment. There was a relationship with God that spawned a new revival or a spiritual experience. When we're sitting in the chair one, that Joshua chair, we're submitted to the will of God, even though it ostracizes us from the world. When you're a chair of commitment, somebody, you're always on guard against the natural slide from godliness to godlessness. I've come to speak to every family in here.
every spirit-filled individual. If you have been born again of the water and spirit, been baptized in Jesus' name, you sit in the first chair after you receive the Holy Ghost. After you've been born again of the water and spirit. But it's possible to sit in the first chair momentarily due to short-lived events and consecration. Because God puts you in this chair and fills you with his spirit, but it's up to you and I to get a relationship with God, to grow in his word, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're in the first chair. It's the chair of commitment. And God desires and has reserved the chair of Joshua. I'm just using this as an, as an example for every one of us in this room. He wants us committed. He wants us on fire for God. He wants us zealous for the things of God. He wants us to be cleaving to his word. He wants us not to bow to the pressures of society and those around us. The peer pressures that would come from all sides of life. And God has a reservation sign for each and every one of us on the first chair. When I look at this first chair, if we're sitting in this chair when the trumpet sounds, we're going to be saved. If I'm committed when the... If I'm committed, if I'm sitting in the chair of commitment, when that, when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, I firmly believe the committed are going to rise to meet him in the air. So our goal is to always sit in the chair of commitment. But the next chair, the chair of compromise. The chair of compromise, I spent some time today in prayer under this one chair. Because, Brother Sparks, it's easy to go from here to here. It's easy to go from the chair of commitment to compromise. You may say, Pastor, how does that happen? Well, when our lifestyle in which they were raised... We live a lifestyle in which they were raised, not deviating on the surface from their parents' teachings. You see, when you live in the second chair, we're living this life because of somebody else. We adopt convictions without understanding the depth of experience in which they develop. We know about faith, but it doesn't shape us into a lifestyle, only obedience when convenient. You see, when you sit in the chair of compromise, we succumb to mediocrity. We build structure emphasizing programs, properties, and products. We go through the motions of the first chair. But we have a lifestyle of the second chair. When I looked at the word compromises, when I look at the word compromise, just like the tribes in Judges 1, 
who did not drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. All they had to do, Brother Jake Jones, was show up. All they had to do was show up and drive out the enemy. But here is the danger of compromise. They decided to coexist with them. They intermarried with them. They started taking on their gods and their idols. In other words, they struck a compromise. They still feared the Lord, but they served other idols. Hear me tonight, families of the sanctuary church. You can still come to church, but your heart be far from him. You can still clap your hands, but your allegiance be to this world. And that's the ploy of the enemy of your soul. If he can just get you to compromise a little bit. If he can get you to give in a little bit. And here is where we are as a church. As we end this year, the enemy wants us to blend in with the world. To to the point that we bend toward backsliding. You may say, give me scripture on that. Hosea 11 and 7. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they call me to the most high, not all will exalt him. Oh, God help us. Help us. God help our families on this first family Wednesday night to get a fresh call of commitment to the things of God. God did not give you those babies. God did not give you those children for you to raise a compromised generation. A generation that does not know the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He did not give you those babies. Not to have on their lips. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But what the, what the world wants you to do and what the world wants to put as an agenda into them, into our children, into our babies, is just compromise a little bit. Yeah, Jesus is real. The Holy Ghost is real, but you don't really have to have it if you don't want it. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It's all good and great to, to, to sacrifice and live holy and dress all, but you really don't have to. God help us. God stir us up to the, to the place that we shake the spirit of compromise in 2022 and a revival of righteousness and holiness would rise up in the church of the living This world doesn't need a a half dead, dried up, plucked up by the roots church. It needs a church that's sitting in in chair number one that says, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Give me the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Preach it, pastor. Preach it. Tell me what I got to do to be saved. Don't let me die and go to hell. But compromise, compromise is beginning to be the biggest enemy of the church. Well, is it a heaven or hell issue, Pastor? You know, if I do that, is it going to... 
When are we going to get to the point we graduate from? Is it a heaven or hell issue? And say, I do this not because it's a heaven or hell issue. I do it because I love my God. Whether I can do and get away with it. Whether I can do and somebody see me. I'm doing this and I'm living this way. I choose to be the Christian that I am because I'm committed. My old pastor, Pastor Charles Shear, he preached one time and I'll never forget it. He said, I'd, I'd hate, I'd hate to get to heaven. I'd hate to get to heaven. And I got 99 bricks in my barrel. And I got there. And I didn't need all of them. Then to get there. And I'm missing one thing. I'd hate to get there. And I didn't have to do this. and I didn't have, or, or get there and not have enough. I do this because I want to do this. I live this way because I want it. Young person, you don't ever have to hold your head down and wish to be like the world. That's the spirit of compromise. You don't have to hold your head down. You can hold your head up and say, I'll walk the halls of my school. I'll live holy. I'll dress holy. I'll talk holy. I'll not live one thing at the church and another... I'm telling you, parents, give your children every excuse possible. Give them every excuse possible to live for God. Don't give them every excuse to live for the world. You make it easy for them to live for. Come on, baby, we're going to, we're going to school shopping. You're going, to look, you're going to look good when you go to school. We're going to spend extra money. I'm going to work overtime so you look good when you go to school. I wish I had two or three parents in here that to give a witness about right now. Because here's my, here's my fear. Here's my fear. Second chair parents will inevitably raise third chair children. If I started here and I end up here compromised. What is my babies going to do? What I do in moderation, they're going to do in excess. What I allow them to watch, what I allow them, what I allow them to listen to, what I allow them to be involved. I'm raising a third generation. I'm raising a third chair generation. Parents, I'm coming for you tonight. Be careful what you push your babies toward. I won't be popular after tonight. I know you want to see your child in every sport that's available to them. And I'm not anti-sports. Roll Tide, Go Dogs, War Eagle. Go Dogs. I could say something else, but everybody wouldn't understand it. Got any old Miss fans? I, I don't care who's your fan. I'm not anti-sports. I'll go watch a football game. Oh, you'll go. Get me a ticket and I'll show you. But I promise you, I ain't going to sit in no stand and give that more worship than I do here.
But I get disturbed as a pastor when I see us pushing, pushing toward and sacrificing toward things that have zero eternal weight. And we struggle getting our kids to youth events, to church, to Bible quizzing. God help us to evaluate our priorities. I know it's fun. I know it's exciting. But don't be guilty of trying to live your life through your kids. What you didn't get to do as a child, what you didn't get to do as a kid, now you're trying to live your life and allow your kids to do what you didn't get a chance to do. God, help us. We better wake up. We better wake ourselves up. Well, my daddy didn't let me, so I'm just going to... My dad, my mom and daddy, be careful. The longer I live, Brother Sparks, the longer I realize the elders wasn't all wrong. The elders wasn't all wrong. I'm going to say some things. The elders wasn't all wrong because look where we're at today. Where we came from, Brother Josh, they wasn't all wrong. I ain't saying they were all right. But they wasn't all wrong. There were some boundaries they put. There were some standards that they put in place. There were some things they said, no, you ain't going there. And I, you think I told my daddy, why is the pastor asking us? Not? I wouldn't be alive today. Not one time did I ride in the car with my parents going home and hear them say, well, I can't believe Brother Mansfield. Who is he to tell us where we can and can't go and what we can and can't? Well, we didn't have a TV, so they couldn't even talk about that. There was never, never a word spoken against what come across his pulpit. It was, if Brother Mansfield said it, if Brother Shearer said it, that's the law. It's just the way it is. We're not compromising. He must see something I don't see. He's the man of God in our life. And the longer I'm 48 years old, climbing up the ladder to 50, I'm realizing that life is but a vapor. If the Lord is merciful to me. I got 22 left promised years. Wow. I'm over, my life is over halfway gone if 70 is the mark. We're here today and gone tomorrow. But we've got to return to some old-fashioned conviction. I told you I wasn't going to be popular tonight. But if we can afford a sport, we can afford to support. If we can give and work overtime to play ball, we can return to an old-fashioned altar call.
If I can work hard, provide for my family, provide for extracurricula, when the pastor stands and says, we need to return our tithe and offerings unto the storehouse, you ought to be the first on your feet to say, I can't wait to get to the house of the Lord. God's been too good to me. Baby's the reason we're blessed. It's because of what we have been doing. We've been giving. We've been sacrificing. I can't gain the whole world and lose my family. I can't gain the whole world and lose my soul. And most Christians are living right here. It scares me to death. I wish I could say most of us, whoo, we're on fire. But most of us are camping out right here. What's the, what's the least I can do and still get to heaven? What's the least I can do and pastor not call me into his office? What's the least I can do and still be saved? This generation may be saved. This generation is going to be saved. This generation. I'm saying the word might. And I say it very scarcely. Because here comes the third chair. The church commitment, compromise, conflict. The conflict of the third chair. Who wants to be my example tonight? Anybody? Boy, y'all don't all raise you. I need a young person. Come up here, son. There ain't a better one to sit in this chair than you right here. The conflict of this chair and the conflict of the first two rows right is that they've seen the hypocrites sitting in the second chairs. They've seen the hypocrites in the second chair and they have unspoken questions. We tell them our story. We can use our cliches, our jargon, call it what you will. But they want to know, where are the miracles? Where's the miracles in our lives, Daddy? Where's the miracles in our church? And here's what the Holy Ghost dropped in us. And dropped into me to tell us. We better ask God to help us. That our stories not get old. I'm standing here with both hands in the air. And I'm declaring it, your pastor, and I'm convicted that we cannot survive long term on old stories. We must have miracles in this church, we must see deliverances in this church. 
we must see and witness the blinded eyes open, the cancers being healed, and the testimonies of what God is doing. The conflict is here. They're looking back at chair number two of compromise, and they're looking at the chair of commitment and screaming, my conflict is, where is your God? Where are the miracles that you're telling me about? Where, are the, where is the God of the New Testament? Where's the God who can raise the dead? Where is the God who can heal? Where is the God that can take a drug addict off the street? How long has it been since some of you got the whole... How long has it been? Just how long has it been since you've been in church? Thirty years, brother Chris. Twenty-something years, brother Jeff. All together, nine years. Nine years, twenty years, thirty years. That's unrehearsed. That's unplanned. Where's the six monther? Where's the year? Where's the two year? Where's the three year? Where's the four year? That's the conflict we're in right now. Do you realize today's news stories are old news stories tomorrow? Do you realize in 72 hours, 95% of you will have forgotten what I preached tonight? Within 72 hours. Statistically. And you mean to tell me we as a church cannot hear the call of commitment? Our stories have got to get refreshed. We've got to have new conversions. We've got to have new deliverances. New miracles. Brother Paul, I give you honor for over 52, 53 years of this church being in existence. But I've heard the stories of the ambulance stopping by the old building. I've heard the stories of the blind and the lame. But I had to ask myself, where's the ambulances today? Where's the cots today? Where's the wheelchairs today? Because here's where the chair of conflict and the chair of this generation that is looking for another God. The conflict is, you're looking over here to chair two that's already compromised. And you're asking, where I said most of us sit, why don't you obey his word all the time? Why aren't you what you say you are? We must be consistent. You're the only example this world has. They need a good witness. You're the only Jesus that somebody will ever see. They need the best example possible. We heard it Sunday. We must be a people of love and compassion. They ought to know us. Can you come to this church? Oh, God, come on home this way. Come on home. This is a place of love. This is a place of compassion. Why do you think there's questions being asked 
by this generation. Because secondhand faith doesn't have any firsthand experiences. As much as I want the faith of the committed to leap over and get on the compromised, it can't happen. And as much as I, w- what hope does this generation have of the faith of the compromised? Not very much. Because they're just serving God because daddy served God. They're serving God because mama served God. Well, you don't even believe what your mom, what, what, what's happening here. You've got so many questions for here. By the miraculous hand of God, you'll look at a committed person. In some way, you're saved. Just some way you're saved. By the grace of God. This third chair, this other generation that rose up, reject God primarily because they do not know Him. He is not real. Oh, if this ever spoke to me today. The God I'm preaching to you is not as real as the world you live in is real to you. The world is more real to him than the God I'm preaching about. That stirs me, church. This is our church of tomorrow, today. This is the generation that's going to carry the baton. This is the generation that will carry on when I take my last breath. But if I'm not staying in the seat of the committed and I'm, I, I'm dwelling in the seat of the compromised, what hope does this generation even have? Here's the generation, the other generation. Thank you, you're doing awesome. Let me just tell you about his generation. You you may not know this. But this generation is basically. They're living in a virtual reality world. That has been created around them. But we are oblivious to what is literally happening. Happening. Around. We've been trained by a screen. We've been trained by a screen. We've been trained by a screen. Instead of a parent. A swing. A slide. A seesaw. A merry-go-round. Does your child even know what those words are? If you remember there was a generation that died in the wilderness. Because of their murmuring and complaining. It's no different today. God consequently... Musicians come. God consequently must turn to other people who are open and hungry, bypassing this generation and introducing a fourth chair. The committed, the Joshua generation, had children. They knew about him. They knew about God. They knew about the God of their parents. But they tried to compromise their way through the relationship. These parents had children. It should have been. It should not have been this way. 
They should have been the generation that carried on the gospel. That carried on the heritage of the Jewish people. But they compromised because mom and daddy compromised. They compromised because they were half-hearted. They didn't really believe the stories that they were told. Or even the few they seen. Because it was a strict command. You tell your children every day when they get up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. When they go to bed, you tell it. When they rise, you tell it. When you're out the marketplace, you tell them. You're constantly putting the word in them. But something happened from the chair of commitment to the chair of compromise to the chair of conflict. The fourth chair I introduce you to is a chair that convicts me to the core. All three have a special level of conviction. But here's where God is so serious about his church. That if we cannot stay in the, the chair of commitment. The chair of compromise. And the, the chair of conflict. God will introduce a fourth chair. And there's somebody on a street corner somewhere. Has no pedigree. Has no. No, no knowledge of God. Has no background of God. Strung out on drugs. Under a bridge somewhere. Alone in an abandoned home. And God had just sent an angel to that house. And say I need you to go to. 1149 Main Street tonight. And I need you to. That's where you're going to stay tonight. That's where you're going to stop. And you're going to go to church. Well I don't know where that church is. I don't, I don't know where that place is. God's got a church that he's building. And if these three chairs cannot seem to get the cannot get their act together, I can't get him from the conflicted place to the committed place. God will introduce us to a revival of the highways, the byways, in the hedges. Because it is the will of God. That his house. Be full. Now he wants it to the ones that's supposed to be there. He wants the attendees to be the ones on the list. Hey you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be in attendance. You're supposed to be committed. But you. What's your excuse? Well, I, I got greater dedication to self than to God. I'm just going to dismiss the burden and I'll accept what the forefathers rejected. I can handle it. I can handle it and bring it into my bosom. It won't burn me. Here's the trap of the church. We think we can go from chair three Stand up. to chair one on Sundays. Ooh, it's Sunday morning, 9.55. I'm at church. Let me get over here in my seat of the committed. God's looking down. 
You ain't committed. Who do you think you're fooling? You served other gods all week. You didn't even call my name in prayer this week. You didn't even open my book. You didn't even let your light shine before men so they could see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You didn't even share what I did for you this week. You didn't share how I blessed you beyond measure. You didn't share how I protected you when you should have been in a wreck, but I put an angel right over here on this side. You can't go from chair three to chair one just on occasion. I do not feel you can play games with our consecration. You can't be a chair hopper. Talk, you know, the old slogan, church hopper. I'm more concerned with chair hoppers. We're going from chair three to chair one. I'm going from chair two to chair three. And we're just playing musical chairs with our soul. We're playing musical chairs with our families. I'll sit in first chair, Pastor, when I feel like it. I'll, I'll, I'll get on a praise team when I feel like it. I'll get involved. I just I want to be wishy-washy right now. Oh, God. If you only understood, you could be the last generation of truth someone around you will ever be exposed to. You could be the voice that somebody's just hungry to hear. That P7 club that you show up to and there's only a few to attend. What if you reach one that turns their world upside down? Well, it's just two of us. It's just three. Sister McKenzie, don't you give up. You could be about to reach the one that their mom and daddy strung out on drugs. And they've been looking. Oh, if I could just find a way. If I could just... Individuals in the third chair have had a first chair experience at one time. I believe that they have had their own first chair experience. But something happened in the conflict. What they seen in the other two chairs. They experienced it at youth camp. They had an experience with God and they left that camp or that youth conference or that North American Youth Congress and they were committed but when they got home and they got into the familiar something happened I want you to stand all over this house over time Our stories, church, cannot get old. This altar call is for every young person, every adult. If you've got breath in your body. We need a revival of commitment. We need a consecration to the things of God. A realization of the impact of our choices and decisions in life. We're affecting this next generation. 
Sanctuary Community Church, I don't want God to skip over us and find a church or find a people to fill these chairs. I don't want God to replace me because I just wouldn't make a commitment. I wouldn't let some things go. I wouldn't say yes. There's a country song and many of you have heard it. And the song would be called, Who's Gonna Fill Their Shoes? And with every elder that fades off the scene and every first generation Pentecostal that takes their final lap around and crosses the finish line, I think, who's gonna fill their shoes? Who's gonna fill Brother Hood? Who's gonna fill Sister Hood? Who's gonna fill Brother Bale? And who's gonna fill Brother Logston? And who's gonna fill so many more in this room who's going to fill brother Danny Johnson's shoes my question tonight is not who's going to fill their shoes but who's going to fill these chairs who's going to fill these chairs who's going to be an example to another generation and declare the works of God and we produce our own story I said we need our own stories. We need our own testimonies in 2022. We can't survive the tidal wave of this world without our own stories, without our own testimonies, without our own victories. Would you lift your voices right now as this team begins to sing? I believe there's an ushering in of the Chicago.